Welcome to the Half Point Per Podcast for the very first time, and I am joined by my co-host Dalton Willie, and of course our fearless producer Johnny Fam behind the mic, going to make all the magic happen on this podcast. Um, this is the very first episode again, like I said, of the Half Point Per Podcast. Dalton, I'm going to start with you. How does it feel to be on a podcast, us three, three amigos, Twitter group, for the very first time? Um, I'm going to be honest, it's a little intimidating. I've had a lot of hot takes in the Twitter group, and I, I'm a little worried about putting them down so people can hear me making those hot takes and being held accountable to some of the things I say about fantasy football and the players. Yeah, I, I was going to say, so basically what you're afraid of is being held accountable. Got it. Yeah, being held accountable? You're afraid of that? You know, I, I think what we'll come to find out is that more of my hot takes hit than they don't. <laughs> I do not think that's what we're going to find out. And I know one man that's going to agree with me. I'm going to kick it over to the producer real quick. Johnny, how's it feel to be producing your first ever podcast? You're going to be the judge when Dalton and I have disagreements. You are going to be the tiebreaker. It's a big responsibility, bud. You up for it? See, I'm I'm pretty excited to join the podcast just because I know a lot of the time you just have arguments in the Twitter group. And <laughs> there are so many situations where I just want to screenshot it and just show the world. But now that it's on the podcast, you can actually hear people or hear Dalton's voice and just see how many times he messes up and very wrong with his takes. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. No offense to our, our podcast here, the Half Point Per Podcast, but I don't think we're going to be showing the world anything for quite some time. I think it might be more like five or six people maybe this time, depending on how many times each of us downloads and listens. I mean, it could go up to like eight or nine, but it really depends on that. It, it but welcome somewhere. to those reliable listeners, all <laughs> four to maybe two of you. <laughs> so this podcast, um, it's basically just a passion project at this point. Just an outlet for us to talk about fantasy football, uh, have a little fun. Um, we're probably going to talk about our league. Um, I believe El Cunado, right? That's what our league is actually named after, uh, after Rafi in the league. Is that correct? That is correct. We're on El Cunado. I think it's... I think it's 7.0. Yeah, 7.0. Yeah, so we're on year seven. Um, so we'll probably talk some crap on the other guys in that league from time to time, see if they're listening. Um, some of the stupid things that they do. Um, you know, we have guys who don't start kickers sometimes. We have um, some who are likely to make dumb trades like dumping Michael Thomas. Um, others who might trade some of their best players and the best asset they get back is $35 in fab. So just all kinds of fun stuff going on in this league. Um, Dalton, anything to add? I can see the, the glare on your face. Was one of those you? I think we're just leaving out some key moments of the league and we can reach back to those in later podcasts and really talk about how other people uh, maybe make some ill-conceived trades and take advantage of their lesser informed friends. Well, you are right in that there are three league titles um, among this podcast, and they're all three sitting with, with yours truly. So if that's the point you're making, then sure, uh, I do agree with you there. Um, we do have a Twitter, at Half Point Per Pod. There are currently zero tweets as of this recording. Um, how many tweets go on there between now and when this podcast goes up depends on when Dalton and Johnny get their hands on that password, would be my guess, especially Dalton. Um, but I thought it'd be good if we kind of started this off um, talking about how each of us got into fantasy football, like what what made us really kind of come to love it. Uh, Dalton, I know you said you had a pretty good story, um, so I'll let you kick it off. 
Well, going back to my senior year of high school, I had a couple of buddies who just wanted to get a league going. And to let you all know how competitive that league was, I think five quarterbacks were off the board in the first six picks. So we really had some great strategy. <laughs> uh, but I ended up making it all the way to the finals, which was my first and last taste of success in the fantasy football world. That's not it, true. You've made the semifinals. I think even the finals one time. You got I, smacked in the finals. but you I made do it. have a second place, and I, got, I went up against Joe Mixon and Mark Ingram, and they obliterated my team. Uh, <laughs> but I got to the finals, and in that game, it came down to two tight ends, and it was Jason Witten against Jermichael Finley. And Jermichael Finley had a touchdown that was on the one-yard line. And upon review, it wasn't a touchdown, but the refs didn't overturn it. My opponent also had a, a play that went to the one-yard line for a touchdown that was overturned. And Jason Witten's touchdown got called back, and I ended up getting the title. Um, first taste of greatness and future greatness that came to be from all of my fantasy accolades and successes since. So you're saying that was your senior year of high school, so 2013? Yeah, we're in a six-year drought. So, no, what I was going to say is it seems like probably 25 years ago that Jamichael Finley was uh, a player in the NFL. That's amazing that that was actually only 2013. So, you know, for me, my first time playing in a fantasy league was actually 2007. Um, My dad was in a work league for a pretty long time. Like when I was a little kid, I remember um, sitting at or whatever, 2003 desktop computer looking over my dad's shoulder at the yahoo like live scoring it's amazing like what it looks like now on like espn or like sleeper bot which is what we use uh compared to to back then but i think it, so it was 2007 for whatever reason um my dad decided that he wasn't going to be in the league that year so i took his spot um i rolled up to this draft it was a whiteboard draft um nothing online all I had was a fantasy football magazine. Don't know the magazine, probably like ESPN or something. No research done. Obviously, no smartphone at the time. The only thing I can tell you about that team is that Randy Moss is on that team. And if anybody remembers, that was the Randy Moss year. So needless to say, that was my first fantasy football title because Randy Moss, the only guy I remember, uh, absolutely carried me uh, to that championship. Wait, so you've just up. been so- blessed. So was this against like older like adult men? Yeah, like, in so, their 30s and yeah, you're like so, I in mean, middle school. So you guys know my dad used to work at the at the newspaper in in our hometown. So this was like against guys like in the sports department and just other guys at the paper. I I have no recollection of like how big the league was, like if it was like 8 man, 10 man. I don't know, but but yeah, it was like all adults and then just me. So I don't wow. even feel bad about losing to you anymore because you were clearly <laughs> just a fantasy football savant. You were well, born and you were raised in the fantasy football. Well, I mean, I've I've just got some guys in great years. I mean, Randy Moss that year. I had Doug Martin in the magical Doug Martin of whatever it was as rookie year when he had like the, Hamster. 50, the the fifty two point game. Obviously, Dalton remembers. I had Todd Gurley during the first <laughs> Todd Gurley good year, a solid forty two point outing in in the playoffs that year. But Johnny, um, I don't know as much about your fantasy background. Before our league, were you playing any fantasy leagues, or was El Cunado was that was that kind of your first rodeo? Yeah, El Cunado was definitely my first fantasy league. I felt like in high school, my my close like friend group just 
didn't want to do fantasy football and just wanted to watch football, like just the primetime games. That's about it. Like we didn't really want to do like the fantasy app leagues, like Yahoo or like NFL.com. So like definitely my freshman year of college was like 2014. It was like my first year. And it's just so wild to think that was like six years ago. So we've definitely come a long way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you've made the playoffs the last couple of years. I think it started off a little rough. There was maybe a Sacco or two uh, thrown in there. Dalton, uh, so there's, there's one. There's there, one Sacco. There, there were no, two Saccos in pull there. Pull the receipts. Pull the receipts. Show me them. <laughs> I don't know. Show if we me have the rec- standings. I don't know if we have record of of many things in the league from 2014. But anyway, um, that's a long-winded way of saying we like fantasy football. Um, this is really just a way for us to talk about it, have some fun with it. And I guess where we wanted to start, um, we're going to kind of go through our rankings. We each made, um, or Dalton and I made, our own personal rankings. I think, at least for me, it was my first time really sitting down and doing um, full rankings like that. So it really gives you an appreciation for how hard it is, some of the different things you have to think about when you're doing it. And today, we're going to kind of talk about uh, the running back and tight end positions. Um, And where we should probably start off is at the very top. Because I think this is probably one of the only fantasy football podcasts, Dalton, where there's going to be a disagreement at top, at the top. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I was a little surprised when I, I took a look at your rankings and I saw that you'd put Saquon Barkley over Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I, I get they're pretty interchangeable, but do you just want to kind of enlighten us about what your thought <laughs> process was about taking... Uh, probably one of the most under or overutilized players in the NFL and ranking him behind Saquon. Did you say overutilized? Yeah. Well, okay. So it's funny you say that because I think, number one, that would be one of my fears. And I will admit, I, I've been wrong on McCaffrey you know, this whole time. And it's not like I didn't think he was going to be a stud. I, I think I drafted him his rookie year. He was really good on my team, especially for a rookie. I thought he was going to be a you know top three, top five guy these last couple of years. Did not expect you know all time seasons back to back years, but I've always worried about injury with him. And I mean, I know Saquon had the injuries last year, but just a guy of his stature getting the volume he's getting, you just always kind of worry about that. But I think really the main thing, and I want to make it clear when we're talking about these guys, it's really just uh, picking nits, if you will. I mean, if someone drafts CMC number one, which I'm sure almost everybody will, I've got no issue with that. I can totally see the argument. It could very well happen. But I think CMC is very, very, very good. He's a generational producer right now on a lot of volume. I think Saquon Barkley is a generational talent. And the year that Barkley was healthy, and was in, we'll call it a functional offense his first year. I mean, he was right there, stride for stride with CMC that year. So I just just like the talent um, more. And one thing you guys will learn as we talk about rankings is Dalton is less about just the pure talent and more about the situation, um, opportunity, things of that nature. So we have a little bit of a different philosophy there. But just a little bit on the situations, though. I mean, even if Saquon stays healthy last year, that situation was just not good. Eli was completely done <laughs> before last season started. Daniel Jones had his moments, but also had like a quadrillion fumbles, had a lot of turnovers. The Panthers, while incompetent, I mean, that whole offense was funneled through uh, CMC. 
I think you'll see more DJ Moore this year. Obviously, he was good last year. I think DJ Moore has a bigger year this year. I like the Robbie Anderson addition. You know, Bridgewater is a clear upgrade at quarterback. I think maybe in this situation, a more competent offense um, doesn't necessarily mean a worse Christian McCaffrey. It just means he doesn't have to touch the ball 30 times a game for the Panthers to have success. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, and, you know, like I was telling you earlier, I really jumped into this because I was a little concerned, and these two are very comparable players in fantasy football. Uh, looking at Saquon's PFF rating in 18, he was 85.2 and third amongst running backs, and in 19, CMC was 86.6 and third amongst running backs. So the guy is incredibly comparable, and I think they're coming into two situations where you're going to see a lot of similarities. Uh, both the Giants and the Panthers invested in their offensive line. The Giants got Russell Coombe, and of course the Panther, or uh, sorry, the Panthers got Russell Coombe, and the Giants heavily invested in their O line with getting uh, who was it, Andrew Thomas, and then they got Matt Pert later down the line in the draft. Uh, but really, what it came down to for me was QB play and the offensive situation those guys are walking into. And just looking at Joe Brady coming out of LSU and the way he utilized Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for that Tigers offense, I think that CMC is a great fit. He gets open in space, and they're going to be able to ramp back his touches to more productive touches uh, with Robbie Anderson. And then I think DJ Moore takes a step forward. And obviously, I think that having Teddy Bridgewater is a big step forward for that offense yeah. compared to what they were dealing with last year. Yeah, compared to Kyle Allen. Um for sure. I guess the question I would have on this then, you know, Saquon was the clear-cut number one coming in the last year, and obviously he had had a great year the year before, but Barkley was also, or sorry, CMC was also historically great the year before. So is the only thing that's changed is we just saw CMC do it again, and, you know, Barkley didn't because he got hurt. Um, because I mean, you know, we we don't. I mean, I know Berkeley started a little slow, but we we don't really know what would have happened. And if you would have still basically the last couple of weeks, it seemed like. So I don't know. I guess for me, it's just like how much has really changed, just as far as like the players since we all thought that Barkley was the the no brainer number one last year. Yeah, and I really think it's just recency bias kicking in with those two. Um, you're going to have a few nagging concerns as to whether Saquon's free of those injuries. And as of now, CMC looks like he could get hit by a truck tomorrow and walk <laughs> onto the practice field today just fine. So you're going to feel a little more reliable having him sitting up in your situation as your RB1 to start the season. Sure. Well, I think we can move on from this just because, like I said, I know 99% of people are going to pick CMC. That's fine. I totally get it. You know, I personally probably don't want the number one as I could just get Saquon two or three, or, you know, depending on where people take Michael Thomas, maybe Ezekiel Elliott, you know, Kamara, or whatever list. I'll, I'll read my list of rankings. And then, you know, we've identified a couple guys that we have. Um, some of them small differences, some of them pretty major differences in opinion on. We can kind of stop there. I also identified just a couple of guys I wanted to just touch on real quick. Dalton, if you have anybody. Um, we'll kind of go by groups of five. You can stop me and we'll we'll discuss. Um, so obviously, you know, one, two for me, uh, Barkley, CMC, Dalton, same in the opposite order. Um, Zeke, number three, uh, Kamara, number four, Dalvin Cook, number five. Uh, Dalton, I know you were saying maybe you were thinking about switching 
Kamara and Zeke, uh, moving Kamara up to to third. And I should make this clear: this is half point um, PPR. You should probably get that by the podcast name, but if not, that that's the the format that we play by in our league, and so that's what these rankings are. Yeah, and really that switch just comes from the news that Kamara played on a nagging ankle injury. Uh, again, I think that him and Zeke are just splitting hairs. The, they're both going to return their value at those top spots and are pretty reliable guys. So I don't know if there's too much to discuss at that difference. For sure. So one thing I actually did really want to discuss with you, though, um, my number five, Dalvin Cook. I still haven't moved uh, Dalvin Cook yet. You haven't moved him you know, far. He hasn't like dropped like a rock. And your rankings, but I, I was just curious what your kind of rationale was with that. Um, we've obviously seen a lot of holdouts these last couple of years. Um, is it just a thing for you? It's like, well, if I have a choice between Mixon and Cook, I just don't. I just don't want the risk. Even though I think there's been not recently, but in the past, I think there maybe been some talk that oh, Mixon could hold out too. So I don't know if that's completely null with him. But just kind of walk me through that decision making process. Well. Part of it is a is a little uh, hit in the rewind on my fantasy season. I ended up getting burned last year with Melvin Gordon. Uh, <laughs> so holdouts have been no friend of mine. You traded him for Duke Johnson. That was a great deal. Well, it worked out for somebody, and that somebody <laughs> wasn't me. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think Dalvin Cook is incredibly valuable to that organization. Uh, they fired coordinators in the past for lack of running the ball, uh, which is something you don't often see in the NFL. And I think they have a serviceable backup in Alexander Madison. But I do think if there were any running backs to have leverage over the, the GM in trade negotiations, it would be a back like Dalvin Cook where the organization is centered around him. So I think he has enough leverage that going into the season, he could hold out and see himself getting a better deal. So I did drop him, well, four spots to the nine. Um, I know there's some concerns about Joe Mixon, but I think that that offense is a little more exciting. And I think that Joe Mixon, he hasn't said anything publicly or come out about it. So I feel a lot more confident going into the season. Mm -hmm. Well, and just with Mixon, I've always really, really loved him as a football player. I mean, he's probably for the last couple of years been a, a top, in my mind, at least top 10 talent, top seven or eight talent running back, but been plagued by terrible offensive line play. You know, below average quarterback, obviously no AJ Green all year last year. So things are pretty miserable um, with him for a while. But you know, he's definitely a guy I believe in. And just on Cook, one thing I will mention is it seems like he wants a pretty similar payday to Christian McCaffrey. I'll be curious to see if he budges on that because I absolutely do not think the Vikings should. So we'll kind of see how how that all plays out, but where we're really going to start having disagreements comes up here um, pretty quickly. Dalton, I want you to talk about your um, number six to um, first, actually, I think my number, or it's my, my number six is Joe Mixon. Your number six, uh, Kenyon Drake, you feel, even though he's 11 for me, I think you feel a lot more confident. It seems like than I do in him. Yeah. Well, and you'll know going back to last year, you would have talked me into even believing in Kenyon Drake as a football <laughs> yeah, I, player. I, I trade him to you. He's a he, for me, he was a, a low rep, low producing back. Um, but when I jumped into the numbers this year, he has big time workhorse capabilities, which is something you don't see in a lot of the rounds that draft, and which is why I put him so high at six. Mm -hmm. uh, just looking at what he did last year with Arizona, he had eight touchdowns in eight weeks, he had a 5.3 yards per attempt from rushes and he had 34 targets which breaks down into four a game so he was a back that could really do it all and i know there's some 
hype around Chase Edmonds, but Chase Edmonds got his chance at the role and the Cardinals still ended up trading for another back in midway through the season. Kenyon Drake is a guy who's on an exciting offense that runs a lot of snaps and they're going to put him in space where he can score. He's not going to be running down the middle. He's going to be running out of the slot. He's going to be running out to the side. They're going to get him open and he's going to be playing at a high enough volume that I think that he's going to be able to outscore expectations pretty significantly, mm-hmm. uh, especially looking at guys I have him over. Uh, and I know we'll get to him later, but I don't think Josh Jacobs has a lot of upside receiving. I think Aaron Jones and Nick Chubb all have uh, competition underneath them that we just don't see with Kenyon Drake. So he's a guy you can solidly slot into that RB1 and not feel concerned going forward. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be curious to see how the Cardinals, how that situation kind of works out this year, because we heard we heard so much coming into last year, how they were going to play so fast. It was going to be, oh, Kyler Murray has this amazing floor because they're going to just run so many plays. I think they were actually like 21st or 22nd in like total sna- like snaps or plays run last year. But I'll be curious to see, you know, the second year of the system, second year of the quarterback. I would assume that'll get better, but just interesting the note. Um, but with Drake, obviously, you know, I like Drake. I- I've always liked Drake. I-, I drafted him in the fourth round of that head scratching Dolphins year where he finished as like a top 12 PPR guy, but you could only start him like four times that year and actually like be happy about it. Um, I think I'm a little worried, I guess, that last year could have been a little bit of fool's gold. Just because we have, I mean, we haven't seen him do that. We've seen him be a productive player, but not that. And I mean, this is not to say I I don't think he's a good player. I do think he's a good player. I think he's going to be in a good offense. I obviously, I haven't ranked 11. So, I mean, RB1, not like I hate the guy. But I I just think there's other guys who I feel more comfortable with um, taking that high in the draft. I I kind of think um, if he sneaks too much into the top 10, it, that to me is like taking him at like the absolute peak at at what I think he could be, but we'll see. I, I mean, it'll be interesting. And you mentioned Josh Jacobs. Obviously, he is one that we have a big disagreement on. I think I disagree with most people on him. I have Josh Jacobs six or seven, excuse me, seven, by the way. Um, Dalvin Cook pending, of course. He could move up another spot. Um, I, I just love him as a player. I mean, if we're being honest, and you talk about competition, there is virtually none in Oakland. I mean, you've got some guys on passing downs, but if you're just talking about a clear-cut workhorse, you know, he's your guy. I think, I think I'm not saying it's going to happen, obviously, because I, I would have him ranked higher, but I think he has a real shot. Like, it's not impossible that he could lead the NFL in rushing this year. Like, I think he's that good. He, he's that kind of talent running the ball. Just his cutting ability, the acceleration of his cuts, the change of direction. I mean, I I think he's a superstar, quite frankly. I mean, just a lot of guys just cannot do what he does. And I mean, that Oakland offensive line, that's always been a good situation. I don't like to lean on that. I'm not saying that's going to be a great offensive line this year, but just, you know, based on what we know, it's always it's always been pretty good to be the running back of the Oakland Raiders if you're at least decent, a <laughs> decent football player. Are you are you at all concerned about Jalen Richard getting re-signed and that capping Jacobs? He he capped out at 26 total targets last season. So I just I don't know where his receiving upside comes from. Yeah, I mean I don't watch him and think he's not a capable receiver. It's not he's not Derrick Henry. He's not like you don't watch him and think like, oh, there's no like this guy 
he looks so awkward catching the ball. Like this just isn't his game. I'm not saying he's a great receiving back. He's probably average at best. But I mean, if if you have a guy who could possibly re- lead the NFL in rushing, like I think, and I don't think he's a nothing in, in the passing game. And I think you know he's the best player on their offense. They would do well to get him involved in other ways. They haven't said they're going to get him involved in the passing game, but they haven't said they're not going to, I guess. And so I'm not saying he's going to be a, a high upside guy in the passing game, but I think he can do enough, maybe get to, you know, 35 reset, 30, 35 receptions somewhere in there uh, to be a, a top, top 10 guy pretty easily, I think. And I feel pretty comfortable with him in my like top, top eight. Well, you know, speaking of receptions, what really points out to me, it is somebody I am very excited to discuss is Clyde Edwards Hilaire, where I think <laughs> you and I have some of the biggest disagreement, uh, despite both of us being Kansas City fans and loving the guy. You have him all the way at 10, so you're slotting him in at, at an RB1, and I have him back at 17. Yeah, so, so I'll, I'll kind of run through my – so after Josh Jacobs at 7, um, Aaron Jones at 8, and Nick Chubb at 9. I actually just want to touch um, – on those guys real quick before we move on to to Clyde. Aaron Jones is going to be an interesting case this year. Obviously, the Packers drafted a uh, goal line bulldozer. Um, Aaron Jones had a lot of touchdowns last year. That touchdown regression is coming. It, the touchdowns probably made him look like a, a superstar, uh, and he's probably not that. He's a really, really, really good player. I, I just kind of wanted to say, I guess, I feel very comfortable with him You know, in my top 10. I'm right around there, but I'm also he's kind of one you kind of have to take a little bit of a leap of faith on when it comes to that. Dalton, anything to add there? I mean, you said it all. I I don't have a strong belief that the Packers offense comes out and does what it did last year, and it just doesn't look like they believe in their guys the way they drafted. It looks like that organization is looking ahead. In fact, uh, the more I look at my rankings, the more I want to drop uh, Aaron Jones down at least below James Conner to 12 and moving James Conner up to 11. Cause I really, I don't <laughs> like the idea of having Aaron Jones with his TD regression incoming. And now he has Jamal Adams and Moss behind him, just waiting mm-hmm. to bulge those touchdowns. Well, and so another guy that we both feel very similarly on, I think we're even both having the exact same spot or one apart. You have Chubb eight. I have him nine. Um, Nick Chubb. What makes you, feel as good as you do about Nick Chubb because once Kareem Hunt came back, or I guess came for the first time to Cleveland last year, they were both, I don't know the rankings exactly, but I would, I think it's like RB 23 and RB 26 and PPR uh, Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I obviously like Nick Chubb. I'm just curious what your reasoning is here. Well, At first, the Hunt situation really concerned me, but then you look at what you're getting. You know, first they brought Kevin Stefanski in, who came from the Vikings and is a run heavy guy. And for a long time, Kevin Stefanski let Dalvin Cook run the ball uh, like no other. And PFF puts Nick Chubb as the most elusive back in the NFL, and he's going to get his touches. Even with Kareem there, he had 27 the first week back. 21, 15, 15, 17, 15. And then the last week he had 13. So he gets his touches and he puts himself in space. But the big plus to him is if Kareem Hunt is to not play, whether there's another suspension, we know he has off the field problems, or if Kareem Hunt were to get injured, Nick Chubb is more than likely the RB1 
in fantasy football. He's going to be able to do it all in an offense that I think is going to feature him heavily. Yeah, I mean, or if they decide to trade Kareem Hunt, I have no idea what kind of value he has. I think everybody just assumed that he was not going to be back in Cleveland this year. Um, so this whole situation is just a little bit surprising. I mean, I like Kareem Hunt. I just quite frankly think Nick Chubb is better. Um, the offensive line last year was just so terrible, and he was still you know, almost 1,500 yards rushing, eight touchdowns. Um, he was third in the league with 12 goal line touches. And as we talked about before this podcast, I mean, the Browns had to have been like the worst team inside the five, and Chubb especially, and not his fault. Like, you know, Chubb's a big, powerful guy. You mentioned most elusive back in the NFL. Just got stuffed like crazy inside the five. If a little bit of that flips, I mean, you know, he had eight rushing touchdowns. You could easily dream up a world where Nick Chubb has 15 rushing touchdowns. Um, And and I think think if Kareem Hunt, sorry, I think if Kareem Hunt wasn't there, we'd be talking about Nick Chubb in that same tier as Zeke and Kamara. Absolutely. And I think you can feel good about taking Nick Chubb because in the sixth round where there's no really reliable backs, you can still nab Kareem Hunt, have a strong handcuff, and Kareem Hunt could be a flex for you most weeks. He was getting eight or nine receptions a game when he was playing. So for roster construction, he gives you a a nice fallback where you might take Hunt a little higher, but your roster is going to feel really secure knowing that if either of them go down, you definitely have a top 10 running back. Mm -hmm. So we can can move on from um, a former... KC Chiefs running back in Kareem Hunt to the now current uh, Chiefs running back in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Johnny, you're going to be the tiebreaker on this, so listen up, bud. Tur- turn those ears up. Um, Dalton, you have him ranked 17th. Is that correct? Am I looking at that right? I have him ranked 17th. 17th. I have him 10th. I want you to give us the negative first. Let me first say, on tape and statistically this guy is the perfect fit for kansas city it's going to be great to watch him play and as a fan i'm more than excited as somebody who is a fantasy football owner i cannot be more than perturbed by the state of the kansas city chiefs backfield Um, we don't know who's going to have the ball but week one i have to put my money on damian williams he he showed out for the super bowl and for, for all intents and purposes he might have deserved the mvp over patrick mahomes and I know that's a little sanctimonious to say. Okay, take it easy. <laughs> but he iced the game, and he played great in the playoffs. So he's going to get the first starting role. So then when you draft Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you're really getting a backup guy, and you're going to ask yourself when he's going to hit on value. And I took a look at the Chiefs roster, and their first game is going to be against the Chargers, and I don't see that being a situation where they're going to be behind. Then they play New England. It's another game. I don't know how much work we're going to need to give our back in the passing down. And then you jump to Buffalo. And that's really the one chance where if Damien doesn't have a good game, Clyde Edwards Hilaire takes over because then they go on a train against the Jets, the Raiders, and the Broncos. So as a fantasy owner, I could see holding Clyde Edwards Hilaire for six games and not seeing him return on the, the RB1, RB2 price tag I was spending on him. Uh, and at the same time, watching Damian Williams get value siphoned from him because Hilaire is going to take at least some of the passing down work. Yeah, so, I mean, you have to take him knowing that it, not for sure, but it could be rough at the beginning. I tend to think it might not be as rough as you think, and but I think what can make up for that, number one, is you know at the end of the season, 
whether or not it's injury to Damian Williams, because we all know he's not the healthiest guy in the world, or just, you know, it's pre- I would say likely that the guy they take in the first round who's that good eventually wins out and is getting 75% of the work. If that happens, I mean, he's a top five back. He's a, he's a league winner who you drafted, not at great value. I mean, his draft, his draft price, I, I wish it were lower. I wish I could take him, even though I have him ranked so high, and I wish I could take him at the 3-4 turn instead of the 2-3 turn. But you know, the, the thing about him, I mean, you mentioned it. I just absolutely love him as a player, love him as a fit for the Chiefs. You know, you hear the Brian Westbrook comparison a lot. You hear a lot of people who, you know, know a lot about football, watch a lot of film, who say he's a better player than Westbrook. Has, has Andy Reid even said that? Maybe not. But – I think like Lewis Riddick of ESPN has said that and a couple other guys. So number one, I just think he's a really good player. He's definitely the most talented running back that Reed has had uh, outside of Jamal Charles um, since he's been in Kansas City and definitely the most talented running back um, Mahomes has played with. Again, I think Cream Hunt is good, but I, I think this guy's on a little bit of a different level just talent-wise. We'll see production-wise. Um, here's the thing, though. We know that being a running back for Andy Reid is pretty much fantasy goodness. Again, I try not to look too much in the situation, but you know the Chiefs' offense is just such a wagon. I mean, such a wagon. And Andy Reid specifically, just when it comes to running back, it's always been a great situation to to be attached to. And then when you think about um, the way he plays. And I mean, he's just not, he's not just going to be a passing downs guy, like catching the ball. Like you're talking about advanced routes with, you know, McCaffrey, obviously his coach from LSU, he was the one running those routes. I mean, you see some like corner routes. Um, like he had one against Alabama where it was like pretty much identical to the one Travis Kelsey ran against the chargers in, in Mexico city. And it's like, Whoa, like that guy as a route runner is incredible. So I guess my argument would be, Sure, maybe he only gets 12, 13, 14 touches for half the season. I don't know. Maybe less than that, maybe a little bit more. If six of those are receptions and three of those are, you know, targets with a, you know, depth of 10, 15 yards or more by from Patrick Mahomes, I mean, you the the value in that to me is just so high and the ceiling in that to me is just so high. I mean, those are the touches that you dream about your running back having instead of plowing ahead for a four yard gain all all the time. And just as a runner, I mean, he's a great runner, great footwork, nothing special about the speed, but just the footwork, the power. I mean, he's just an all around very good running back. And I agree with everything you've said about him, but one of my bigger concerns is that, like you said, he's a footwork guy. He's very technical. He's not going to blow you away with his athleticism. Uh, and what worries me is that in the current state of COVID, we're not getting early season OTAs. He's not getting that early work. So he's not going to come into the offense as attuned as he could be. So mm-hmm. it's going to put him even another step behind Damian Williams. And I know Andy Reid runs a lot of difficult play concepts to learn. So he's going to be getting the looks out of the backfield where he's going, it's going to be a simpler play, and he's not going to get to showcase those skills until he really gets those reps in with his guys. Well, and I think where that's going to hurt him more is like he might not be the, the true third down back for a while, even though he has the skill set. I mean, who knows? He, he, I think he's a good pass blocker, but he may not be trusted to know where to block in the passing game for Mahomes, and that's obviously a very important job 
um, when you're on the Chiefs. A comparison I've seen a lot for him is Devontae Freeman. Um, I like that comparison. I think that's interesting. Receiving back, can run well between the tackles. Really powerful, runs mean. We'll see how long that career lasts. Obviously, we know Freeman's had some injuries. <laughs> you could see uh, Edward Hilaire, I think, maybe be a guy who struggles with that at some point. And I also just want to add one last thing before we bring Johnny in. Um, he is a guy that if we do have training camp or whatever that looks like with COVID, he is a guy that I could see my ranking moving pretty drastically on one way or another. If it, if we hear, um, oh, like he, he doesn't know what he's doing, um, he's way behind, then yeah, I you know might drop him 10 spots, 15 spots, possible. But if we don't hear a lot, or if we hear good things, I mean, I usually put more stock into the bad than the good. But I mean, if you hear good things, you at least know it's not bad. So I think if it's either good or nothing, then he's probably staying about where he is. Johnny, what do you think? You. Um, so I would say I'm more on Evan's side of placing him at 10 just with the upside that he has, with just the fact that Mahomes wanted to read the draft. And that means Mahomes himself knows that the potential he has. And although Damian was our star running back last year, I feel like didn't he sign like a one-year contract? That means he's basically going to be face out after this year for the Chiefs drafting him in the first round. So I definitely think Edwards Allaire has a lot of upside, but I do agree with Dalton's concept of training camp. Might screw him over a little bit with just not having enough reps. But I do believe that, once he's comfortable in there, he'll just blow us out of the water and out of the game. He'll just take over the game. I just All want right. to note the first decision you made was to side with Evan. And in the history of this podcast, I'm not going to forget that. <laughs> yeah, we can keep a scoreboard. We'll just keep a tally, 1-0, and then we'll just recap at the end of the year to see how it goes for you. You're on the list. <laughs> okay, so we we can keep it moving here. Um, I have Kenyon Drake 11. We've already hit on him, obviously, plenty. Um, Derek Henry at 12 for me, which I know is probably a lot lower than people are going to have him. Dalton, you have him seven. We didn't really mark him down as a guy to talk about. I did just want to mention though with Henry, it's kind of been the same story the last couple of years. It's like, how fun was it to own him for the first eight, 10, even 12 weeks of the season? It's like, I, I don't know. He just comes on late, very, very strong late. And it's not that I don't think he's a good player, but you talk about no passing upside. If that Titans magic carpet ride doesn't quite carry over, I could see him as a guy with a, with a pretty low floor, in my opinion. Well, I'm going to copy and paste everything you said about Josh Jacobs and put it into Derrick Henry because he is a guy that actually proved uh, you can really run the ball and be a, a good fantasy back. Uh, really, the differentiation in my ranking between him and Jacobs, who I believe have very similar skill sets, is I think the Titans offense and the Titans offensive line is just much better. I think A.J. Brown's a better receiver. I think Ryan Tannehill is a better quarterback than Derek Carr. And I think Richie They're both bad. We don't have to say one of those quarterbacks <laughs> are better. They're both bad. Uh, but at the end of the day... Uh, and Richie Incognito is a bully. And Donald Penn. And they're, 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 going, they're getting old. And I, I, I don't like the Raiders at all. And I don't want any part of them. So that's really, I think I have Derek Henry and... and uh, Josh Jacobs flipped in my rankings compared to you, but yeah. I so I don't want to dive back in on Josh Jacobs, but I will just I will just push back a little bit. I I don't think they're really very similar at all. Um, 
the one similarity is they're both powerful guys. Henry's obviously a lot bigger. Um, we mentioned him earlier. The comparison um, for Jacobs is probably Doug Martin. I mean, just violent runner, um, smaller guy, but drags guys with him. But the the thing that that Jacobs has that Henry just doesn't. I mean, he's got the quick twitch, the lateral speed. I mean, the lateral moves. Henry, he's straight ahead. He's got to get ahead of steam. So he has to have a good offensive line, which sounds weird for as powerful as he is, but if you hit him before he gets going, it's not as hard to take him down as you would think for a guy who is um, built like a, a very, very big middle linebacker, not just a normal middle linebacker, a big middle linebacker. But anyway, we'll move on. Um, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell are 13-14 for me. Um, I think those two guys are they're interesting and boring at the same time because they both to me have pretty pretty high upside still because I mean I still both think they're pretty good pretty good players quite frankly Bell last year that was about the worst case scenario in my opinion and then Gurley we just don't know about the health um I do want to skip ahead I'll I'll go through my 15 um through 20 in a minute but James Conner, you mentioned him as being really high in your ranks. You said 12 or 11. Let me look. You have him 12. My God, that's really high. I have him uh, 22nd. Dalton, please defend your subpar ranking at best. Let me go to bat for this. Uh, and this is going to be a theme for a while, is that I think the entire Steelers offense is getting horribly undervalued for a year where they trotted out a guy who goes by duck at quarterback for most of the season. Um, but historically, in 2018, 21.5 points per game was what James Conner averaged, and that put him at RB7. In 2019, for the shortened career he played on a staggered offense, he averaged 17.8 points per game, and that would put him at the RB10. Uh, so right around where my ranking is. Uh, th- the only concern I've seen is that people don't believe he's going to be the guy, but you have Mike Tomlin saying he has a featured runner mentality. Uh, that's how he runs his offense. And the statistics show that that's how it goes from Le'Veon Bell to D'Angelo Williams to two years of James Conner. There's been one back that's led that offense and led that backfield. So he's one of the few guys you can put down in your RB one or two spot and feel reliable that he's going to be running the ball every game and the guys who are stealing touches from him. I, you have Benny Snell, who is not the greatest player, has a 64 PFF grade. And then you have Anthony McFarland, who they spent a fourth round capital on, who didn't break a thousand yards in his last year at Maryland. And you have Jalen Samuels, who can catch 56 historically. You just don't have any other guy. Guys are going to take the Steelers offense that when Big Ben was healthy was fourth in the NFL two years years ago. It's funny. My argument against you, I'm actually not really going to argue any of those points. What I will say is just the Steelers as a whole just scare the absolute bejesus out of me. Um, you have Big Ben coming off, obviously, very major elbow surgery. We have no idea what he's going to look like. We don't know if he's still going to be good. I mean, he's he's at that age. He, he could come back, and maybe he's just done. Maybe he's a top-five quarterback. All, all those things are possible. But that, number one to me, is, is a pretty scary 
dilemma to kind of have when we we, we saw what's behind him and it it's not much um and then obviously the Steelers o-line they've been so dominant for so long they're going to be mixing in some new guys this year um and the offensive line was took a little bit of a dip last year uh i think they they allowed so their running backs on average were contacted 1.4 yards down the down the field which is near the bottom of the league so basically if i explain that terribly that just means that their guys were getting hit closer to the line of scrimmage than most teams in the league um i think connor is very good i think if connor is healthy and that situation is right and by right i mean you know big ben's good o-line fine doesn't have to be great just fine i think he's probably closer to your ranking than mine at 22 but my main concern with him is just the injuries i mean last year alone it was a knee it was a shoulder it was a thigh he played 10 games and it somehow felt like a lot less like (laughs) like it felt like he was never there you know when he came back get hurt again um, I also believe he's heading into the last year of that rookie contract. That that's always kind of a, a tenuous situation. I wouldn't put too much stock into that though, but I think it's just something to at least at least put out in the ether, k- kind of keep an eye on. I mean, you mentioned the guys that are behind him. Um, Benny Snell and Jalen Samuels, I think we've seen neither of them are any good. Anthony McFarland is a little intriguing, maybe just because he's the unknown. But for me, I, I think with it's more about just me being very terrified of what to expect from the Steelers and just boy, he was hurt a lot last year. Yeah. And at the end, that's really why he's sitting at 12 for me. I feel like he's a back you can get at the turn. And if he hits, you get a really reliable return on value. Um, But you're definitely not going to get one of those middling pedantic backs. You can get in that round who never really give you value. Uh, I either see James Conner hitting, you know, even without, Big Ben last year, he was averaging 15.6 points a game, which you're not going to be upset about. Um, and then you you mentioned a little bit about the offensive line. I, I, they did add Steven Wisniewski from the Chiefs, which I think was a good late season addition. So I think all the pieces are there. Uh, I think it really does come down to Big Ben's health, though, if he really returns on value and gets in that top five or six spot, or if he's just an, another middling season. For sure. And you know, we'll talk about this maybe more when we get to the receivers and kind of talk about some big picture stuff. But for me, Connor is probably not a guy I'm going to end up with, even if he's there about where I have him ranked, because I'm not taking him where you have him ranked and where he's ranked. Running back is just so scary in that part of the draft. Receiver is so much safer at that point. So Connor is just probably not a guy who's going to be on my team. Because at that point, I'm either probably drafting a third running back, and why am I doing that if I, you know, if I like, you know, if DJ Moore is there, I'm taking DJ Moore. If you know, I don't know, Cortland Sutton is there, I'm probably taking Cortland Sutton. Like if those guys are there, it's like I'm not going to end up with them on my team, so might as well just rank them in a spot where I'm not going to be tempted to take them, take yeah, that risk. I think he's a guy that I'm going to have a lot of. Yeah, if you have him 12, I think you're going to have quite a bit of him, Johnny. You want to weigh in again? Yeah, um, I would like to just say that <laughs> Dalton just likes to clip out whatever headline he sees of just what Mike Tomlin said about James Conner. He did say that he's a featured guy and proven runner. That's all Dalton said, but he lost the lot. He forgot the last two words that Tomlin said was "when healthy." When healthy. 
So I, I just like to add that part. So like, <laughs> all of his injuries last year do scare me away from him. And I feel like 12 is just like such a gamble. And I feel like since Dawn is just riding so high on him, being like a late first, that he will ride or die with this until the end of the season. Okay, so uh, I think there's a good podcast bet coming up right here. All right, <laughs> we can we can maybe go. Well, we I mean we we can do a bet right now if you want. I said we can save it, but we can we can do a bet right now. So I have him twenty second. You have him twelve. Was well, split the difference would be 16, 17. Top sixteen back. All right, yeah. I say James Conner is not a top sixteen running back. I'm writing that down right now. James Conner will return value and be a top 16 back to come this season. And to be clear, we're not doing per-game scoring. We're doing full season. Yeah, total. Yeah, if he gets it, uh, I I see what you're doing there. The guy (laughs) is a train, and he's not going to get injured again. Beat cancer, beat shoulder, beat leg, beat ankle, beat it all. Oh, see, I I love the guy. He's a great guy. I mean, I saw, like, on his Instagram a couple days ago, he gave his dad a car or gave his dad a truck. Very, very sincere and loving. Okay, so but, I won't play. I won't play a name game with with just Johnny, then. Um, since Dalton okay. has him twelve, I, I want to go through some guys that I have in between where Dalton has him, and where I have them, and see if D- Johnny would take Connor over any of these guys. <laughs> um, James Connor, or Austin Eckler, Eckler, love the guy. James Connor or Miles Sanders, Sanders. James Conner or Leonard Fournette? Ooh. I do Fournette. Fournette. James Conner. <laughs> James Conner or Devin Singletary? Oh, Conner. Conner. Okay. So all of those guys I have ranked ahead of, of Conner, Johnny would take all but one. I just want to point out there's a little homerism in what you did. He had Eckler and Sanders last year. So he's going to have a little hometown bias. Okay, fine. I, well, I gave him a gross <laughs> one. and I gave him a gross one with Lerm Fournette. I'll give him another gross one. James Conner or David Johnson? That's a filthy one. That's disgusting. Uh, that's, that's a tough one. Um, I'm, we I'm all, we have... all remember David Johnson looking like a 300-pound <laughs> man on that outside run. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll go with Connor on that one. <laughs> I've, I've got David Johnson 20th for the record. Um, okay, we, we can move on from this discussion. Um, just to kind of fill in the gaps uh, rankings-wise here, um, I have Devin Singletary 15. I know that's a hot-button topic that we probably should talk a little bit about. Um, Eckler 16, Melvin Gordon 17, Miles Sanders 18, uh, we don't have to talk too much on him, Dalton. I don't want to go too long on this podcast. I don't know how long we've been recording, but um, I think we'll we're probably both lower on Miles Sanders in the ADP. Could you just kind of lay out lay out why? I think we probably have the same reasoning. I don't trust the front office. Howie Roseman's brought in a back almost every year. Um, he made his money in the receiving game last year, and they added options. And uh, you have. Brandon Ayuk and Deshaun Jackson coming back. And at some point, maybe Alshon Jeffrey. And then you have your right guard, all pro Brandon Brooks out for the season. Mm-hmm. I just don't see a return on investment there. And I don't particularly think he is a exciting back with the, the talents you want. Yeah. And just to add one quick thing, I mean, he, 
he's a good player. He had a great finish to the year last year, but you know, the Eagles were just so banged up. I mean, he, you know, it was a valiant effort on his part, but he really was dragging them to any kind of playoff contention at that point. I mean, they just had no weapons outside of him. So he's not going to have that same volume. Um, when Nelson I mean, Aguilar is your wide receiver one, you're in a bad situation. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't think much more needs to be said um, than that. So Sanders 18. I have Chris Carson 19. I think, we, yeah, you have him 18, so we feel very similarly there. David Johnson 20 is pretty gross, but it is what it is. Running back gets pretty pretty gross pretty quick, quite frankly. Um, Fournette 21 for me. Just kind of going through anybody else interesting. Uh Oh, Jonathan Taylor is another interesting one that we have a, a dip, big difference on. So I have him 23. Dalton, you have him 32nd, and that is just two spots ahead of where you have Marlon Mack. So it sounds to me like you're expecting a full-blown committee. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you just plan off coach speak. You have Frank Wright coming well, we out. We know you bring Coach Beak to this podcast already. So you have him saying you got a good one-one punch. Uh, and personally, I don't feel too good when my coach is saying things like that that don't make sense. Um, but <laughs> with a lot of these rookies, where you look for upside is receiving, especially in a, a PPR or half point. And Naheem Hines has that lockdown on that team. Jonathan Taylor has a career forty-two catches that includes twenty-six his senior year. Uh, He's not, again, this is the same with Clyde Edwards or Hilaire, but he's not getting in that early season work. And I don't particularly know what was wrong with Mac last year. He was ninth in rushing in the NFL. Uh, he had eight TDs and a 4.4 yard per carry. He was an all right back and he was serviceable and they have a great line. Uh, I guess what you're banking on is Phillip Rivers treating him like Austin Eckler, but I just really don't think Naheem Hines uh, loses the pass catching work. So you have a couple first down runs, a drive at best, and you really hope he breaks one open. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you on all the passing game stuff. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't think he's going to be a, a very high-volume passing game guy because, I mean, Marlon Mack can catch the ball pretty well in the backfield too. I, I think Taylor is the, the distant third option as far as receiving in that backfield. But if we're just talking about as a runner, I, I think Taylor is clearly a, a better runner than Mac, and I think Mac is a good player. I mean, you mentioned he was top ten in the NFL in rushing last year. I think he's a good player, um, but I would be surprised if at some point in, in the season Taylor isn't. I'm not saying Mac is going to go away w without injury. That that's not going to happen. Mac is going to be a part of that backfield, but I think Taylor is going to get um, more of that work as the year goes on. Uh, I think a lot of people felt he was the best running back in this draft um quite frankly just because of how good he is running the ball he's just a, a real pure pure runner a, a, as a running back so in the end i just kind of this is a situation where you know i kind of think the cream rises to the top a little bit um in the running game and he he kind of wins out a bigger role in that than than marlon mack yeah i think this just is a really good example of where philosophically we approach the draft differently I don't think he's not skilled. I just don't believe he's going to have the touches to showcase that skill. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of not skilled, let's get to the next guy that we agree that we disagree on. That's uh, a low blow. <laughs> excuse me. I'm going to have to go through a lot of my guys to even get to where I have your next guy ranked. So, yeah, Jonathan Taylor, 23. We've got Mark Ingram, 24. DeAndre Swift, 25. 
skimming through anybody else interesting. Ronald Jones, 29, might be a little bit higher than some have him. Damian Williams, 30. I thought it was funny that I had Damian ranked two spots higher than you, even though I'm higher higher on uh, Hilaire. I'm not sure how exactly that happened, but it is what it is. I have Mac 33, so just uh, one spot ahead of you, actually. So, again, I have Mac higher than, than you have Mac by, by one spot. Um, so, Lindsey, Philip Lindsey, 34. Matt Breida, 35. And then Dalton's guy, the man, the myth, the not really a legend, Sony Michelle. You have him 24. Please explain yourself. That is correct. I have uh, Sony Michelle is my 24th ranked running back. So that rounds about at the tail end of RB2s. Uh, just to start off the argument, you know, you're putting some of the guys you put ahead of them are in secondary, maybe even workhorse situations between Marlon Mack and Philip Lindsay, just to name the few. Uh, I do think that Sonny Michelle starts the season as the starting back. Uh, you know, the Patriots had the 10th best O-line last season as far as run blocking goes, and they're adding Isaiah Wynn, who has spent an entire season not being able to play for them. I think he drastically improves their Sony still Sony still sucked behind that O-line last year, by the way. Well, and it's funny you say that because I do believe that Sony Michelle, you know, he was 19th in the NFL in carries, but he was 16th in the NFL in yards. So it's not like Sony Michelle had a horrible go. He had 912 yards and seven touchdowns. So you've really seen his floor. I really do believe that's his floor if he gets the starting role in that offense. So you're going to get a guy who's pretty reliable. Uh, looking behind him, Rex Burkhead and James White aren't guys who can handle the first and second down duties. Um, as the one caveat, when I nab Michelle, and I think I'm going to get a lot of them this year, I'm probably taking Damian Harris with the 13th or 14th pick. You know, I'm going to take him in those late rounds because he he's the only guy in that offense who I could see taking that role. Uh, and between those two, you're going to have a pretty strong argument for an offense that's probably going to run the ball a lot between the addition of Cam Newton and the ability of their their line to run block. They're going to want to slow the game down. They're going to want to play to their defense. Uh, at the end of the day, I think that Sony Michel, he's not he's not advertising. You know, looking at him in your RB two is not something you want, but he's somebody who's going to return the value, especially when this is a year you get past the top fifteen guys and you're puking a little bit when you grab some of these names. You look at he's one of the guys that looks like he's going to come out in a good situation in September. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I say for sure in reference to you're talking about a lot of bad guys in in that draft spot, not to Sony Michelle, to be clear. Um, I mean, you have guys like DeAndre Swift, a lot of rookies in there, DeAndre Swift, um, Cam Akers, a second year guy and like David Montgomery, who, yeah, it's all, it's all very unsure. So the thing about Michelle, well, a couple things about Michelle, the main thing, again, just like with Connor, it's injuries. I mean, the guy had his knee drained before he even played an NFL game after he was drafted. He had injuries at Georgia. The thing that worries me um, is that just watching him last year compared to like watching him at Georgia, he already looks a lot less explosive to me than he did coming out of college. I mean, I think the Patriots would tell you the same thing. Um, the Patriots aren't taking that guy that they have right now um, in the first round of the NFL draft. I mean, he's already, I feel like, on the decline. Obviously, he's 25, which isn't super young for a running back. But... I don't know. There's just the injury concern. The knee is always an issue. 
He had foot surgery earlier this month, might not be back for training camp if that's even a thing uh, this year, if that starts on time. So just some unknowns with him. Uh, I've got to ask, did, um, so after Cam Newton commits to the Patriots, did that change your rank of Michelle at all? For, for me, it didn't. And the closer we get to the season, I still don't know if it will. I don't know if it really moves the needle too much one way or another. Maybe a spot here or there. but Yeah, honestly, at first, I, I wanted to take him down in my rankings because Cam's going to take away a lot of the goal line viability of Sony Michelle. Uh, and that that's something to worry about. Cam Newton's going to be able to take you know those five and six yards carries and get him in the end zone. Uh, but at the end of the day, I kept him where he is because I do think Cam – uh, increases the amount of touchdown opportunity in the offense. He's a guy who's going to drive them down the field a lot better than Jared Sidham. So I ended up keeping him where he's at. I don't really know. I agree with you. I don't think Cam adds or detracts anything from where you you put Sony Michelle. Uh, I just think he's a low ceiling guy where he could not play the season. But if you get him at his best, like he had his rookie season, and if that ankle surgery works out for him, he's a high ceiling. You can get him. He can be a top 12 back if he plays healthy and he has his step back in him. So He's a risk I'm willing to take, you know, if I can get him in the fourth or the fifth where I think he's going. Yeah, see, for me, I like him where I have him ranked. If I get him to where I have him ranked, I like that value. I don't want to draft him to be a starter for me. I want to draft him to be my first bench player where if he has injury concerns, yeah, it's a hit, but I don't have to – scramble i'm not looking for a new starter in week three because sony michelle already has to have knee surgery and he's out for a month um so i'm not as worried about that with secret weapon chris thompson <laughs> getting him in the 16th round <laughs> see well my comment on that is like i feel bad for just piling on dawn <laughs> with the bad takes today because i would say i almost had the entire patriots backfield last year with like james white and um michelle oh, yeah you, yeah, you had sonya michelle and i would say just watching them so closely michelle didn't touch anything in the red zone or goal line it was either burkhead or james white the one time michelle would touch it would be for like a negative two yard loss is what i saw so i don't see michelle <laughs> being that high for me at all well and that's the other factor with michelle as everybody knows it, it's it's just Russian roulette when it comes to Patriots and their running backs. One week it could be James White has 30 points. One week Michelle might have 45 yards, but three rushing touchdowns to go with it. Something weird like that. So you just never know. Um, guys, unless we have anything else really to get to the running back, I think I just want to ask one last question, and then we can move on to, to tight end um, for a quick discussion there. We'll hit on more of these lower-ranked guys as, as we move on in the show, talking about maybe some sleepers, um, some guys that, you know, some, some busts, just things of that nature. And just talking about just guys in general, I'm ranked a little lower as we get further on, but I do want to ask. So at each position, we're going to identify one guy who we are most worried about that. We are incorrect that, that we are wrong about where we have, have them ranked at running back Dalton. Who is it? That's a tough one for me. Uh, but I really think that Austin Eckler might be the guy that I've misranked. I, I have him sitting at 13, and th there's talk of that being a running back by committee. I don't know where his receiving upside goes with Tyrod Taylor, and I he takes away some of the goal line work with his rushing ability himself at quarterback. I think if there's a guy in the draft, 
and I'm sitting at the turn and I see Austin Eckler, I, I don't know if I could stomach taking him. He just doesn't seem like he's a good bet to return on his investment this season. So it's it's really funny you say Austin Eckler. I was going to cheat and say two guys because we already talked about um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for all the reasons that we talked about. He's the guy I'm nervous about right now, just given all the unknowns, given the fact that Damian Williams is still there. My first answer actually was Austin Eckler, <laughs> but it was kind of a cop-out answer, and here's why. So he kind of he goes against my philosophy when it comes to like how I rank guys, how I like to draft guys, um, things like that. He had a lot of games last year where he didn't do a whole lot. And then you have like one or two big plays. It's like, oh, Austin Eckler, huge game. You know, I think he's a fine player. He's a great success story um, to turn to what he has. I mean, he was just Melvin Gordon's backup pretty much and nothing else a couple of years ago. But I guess what I really wanted to say is I'm disgusted. I have him ranked where I do, which I believe is like RB 16 or 17. I do not think he is that type of talent, but it's, I feel like I'm backed into a corner. Like I don't feel like I, I feel dumb for ranking him lower than that. Quite honestly. I mean, the team signaled their intentions by paying him. Um, and he can get involved in a lot of different ways. He's a decent runner, you know, great pass catcher. God knows what the quarterback situation will look like um, throwing him the ball. But yeah, he's a guy I'm nervous about, but it's kind of a cheat answer. I'll, I'll go with Clyde Edwards. Hilarious. My actual guy for all the reasons we talked about, you know, just the unknown of whether or not he can beat out Damian. The fact that his price tag is at the turn in the second and third. I mean, you know, in some cases he's going to end up being your RB one. That, that's pretty nerve wracking to me um, for a guy who, you know, if you're a panic trader, like, like Dalton, um, you might trade him four weeks into the season. That's not even a shot at you, Dalton. It's just like it's hard to stay in the flames with guys like that when when they're struggling early on and your record is going down every week. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you're sitting at over <laughs> four and he he you know he's getting five touches a game, I I might sell him for some fab and twenty dollars for all I know. <laughs> twenty real dollars. Got to make your money somehow. <laughs> Okay, let's move on the tight end. Um, we'll go from one chief to another. I have Travis Kelsey number one. Dalton, uh, the blasphemous rank. I'm just kidding. It's not really blasphemous, but still, I, I want to get your take on why you have George Kill number one. And was it a tough decision for you? You know, how close was that ranking? Well, after this podcast goes out, all of Kansas City listens to it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> likely going to have to leave the city on the result of how I've ranked some of these chiefs, but it's tough. I mean, you get Kittle or Kelsey, they're going to return a lot of value and it really came to who has a higher ceiling. Um, Kelsey's in an offense with a lot of guys, a lot of mouths to feed and a quarterback who can do it. Um, but Kittle has a quarterback who can do it too. Jimmy Garoppolo, when he was called on to pass last season, threw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Um, a couple of reasons why I'm putting Kittle every ahead. game. That'd be a lot of yards. I'd be well, actually, getting to that last season, Jimmy G had 476 pass attempts. That's disgusting because Mahomes had 484 and missed three games. So there was less volume in that offense um, because they were able to run the ball and their defense kept them a lot of games. And we know defense year to year is really hard to predict. Mm -hmm. um, That's true. And I think that the Niners' defense takes a step back. I mean, George. Richard Sherman's turning 34. He he's not the guy we saw. Uh, Sammy Watkins certainly showed us 
that he can be exposed. Yeah, King Lizard. <laughs> King Lizard and exposed him. You're just looking at a, a sad receiving core. I mean, Kendrick. Yeah, Bourne, so, I, so I wanted to ask, but before you go on with that, I wanted to ask, before Debo got hurt, I know you hadn't done your rankings yet, but do you think you would have had Kelsey number one before Debo got hurt? Yeah, I think Debo was Debo and Brandon Ayuk is the one two is a better looking receiving core than Brandon Ayuk, Kendrick Bourne, or Dante Pettis. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to feed the workhorse, and that's George Kittle. Uh, I think Travis Kelsey just going to have games where he disappears and he's taken out of the game. I don't think the Niners can afford to do that with Kittle. I know they have a good run game, but with their defense likely taking at least a step back, they're going to have games where they're going to have to throw the ball. And I think Jimmy G is just going to look to the most reliable weapon they have. And that's just going to be George Kittle. Okay. So uh, a couple things here. Again, you're going to see the difference in our philosophies here. Dalton mentioned the too many mouths to feed. I usually, I try not to worry about that type of thing. I try not to think about that type of thing. It's hard not to sometimes, but you know, again, just Kelsey, he's done it. He's done it for what three years in a row. He he's been the tight end one at least a couple years in a row. Um, probably wouldn't have been last year if Kill didn't get hurt, but also Mahomes missed three games. So kind of equals out there. Um the thing you mentioned the volume for Kittle. Ooh. And maybe a little bit of a lack of volume at times for Kelsey, just with other guys in the offense. But with how much more the Chiefs are going to throw the ball than the Niners, I wouldn't be surprised if those guys are seeing a similar target share. Um, we we all know who who the superior quarterback is um, b- between those two. If Mahomes is healthy, I think it's Kelsey. Um, I'm not going to say hands down. Kittle's great. Kittle's a great player. I mean, Garoppolo's a fine quarterback, and he's the clear top option. But for me, Debo's injury didn't really move the needle much. I don't really know how much more volume Kittle can get in that offense. He doesn't run a ton of routes. Um, I mean, obviously, he runs a lot of routes. He catches a lot of balls. But you know what I mean? Like In comparison to like a guy like Kelsey who splits out wide, he doesn't really do that. Um, they lean on him to block a lot in the running game, and then they like to run, and you know for good reason. Kittle is easily the best blocking tight end in the NFL, not even close. So I just I see two guys who are going to be getting pretty similar volume, both great players. You're fine if you take either one as the first tight end. I think I'm just going Kelsey. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that guy who's done it in, in that offense for the last couple of years. And I do think it is splitting hairs uh, at the end of the day. I think that Kittle could just very well come out of the season at a 110 target season and be really exciting for an owner, especially with what he can create in the open with his with his yak abilities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If he uh, if he does what he did against the Saints too often, that would be that would be something. Um, the next couple of guys, I mean, we have slight disagree. I think no, we have in the same order. So Ertz and Andrews, I think, are the pretty clear. Three, four. The one concern, I guess, with Andrews is that he actually wasn't on the field a ton last year for how productive he was. Hayden Hurst is gone. We'll we'll see what happens there, but I I think he's kind of in his own tier. Like I think you have Kelsey Kittle in the same tier. I think Ertz is in his own tier, and then I think I would probably put Andrews in his own tier after that. And then you kind of get into the next group of guys, and this is where we have. Just given how many players we've ranked, probably our biggest disagreement. Um, you have Evan Ingram fifth, 
I have him eleventh. Which I mean, when you're thinking about tight ends, you know, Evan Ingram fifth. That means that you're probably okay with taking him in the late fourth, you know, sometime in the fifth round. Um, I'm saying I don't want to take him in the single digits. So that I mean, that's a big difference. Um, Dalton, give me the the positive argument for Evan Ingram. Well. And I was surprised, in fact, to see that you had Evan Ingram so low. I really thought I was on the consensus train with where I had ranked him. I think um, you are, to be clear. I think you are more on the consensus train. But I broke out. He only played 11 games last season. And even in some of those games, he was hobbled by injury. Um, and if you break out his targets, he gets six a game, which breaks out to 95 in a season. So you're still looking at a good target share for an athletic tight end. Um but I really think that the Giants are going to have a second-year leap. I think Daniel Jones is poised um, to really be successful. Him and Drew Locke are two quarterbacks who their their teams have put everything around them. Uh, with the new offensive line additions, it's going to be a really interesting team to watch. And while I was looking into this, something I found interesting um, that, again, I'm just going to look like I don't like Kansas City, but the only team that fields a faster offense than the Kansas City Chiefs is – the New York Giants. Their skill player positions are faster than the Kansas City. They're going to be an exciting offense. I think Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard can create a lot of space in the middle for Evan Ingram to get the ball. Um, and most importantly, I know I've talked about him already once, but if you go back and watch Joe Judge and what he did with LSU Stadius Moss, he moved him around from the slot to outside to running out of the eye. He does really interesting things with the tight end. And I think that Evan Ingram is athletic enough that he can play multiple positions and he can get really good looks going into the game. So I think he's a guy who can really reach into that upper echelon of tight ends and be somebody you want to start week in, week out. So I think this really, um, what this, this kind of just depends on how you feel about the tight end position and drafting tight ends as a whole. I say that because I will admit this logic on Evan Ingram could very well be flawed. I do think he's a very talented player. If he plays 16 games, you know, 15, even 14, there's a very good chance he's closer to your ranking than my ranking. But the thing is, talking as someone who's drafted Jordan Reed in the past, oh, I God. don't like taking chances when it comes to the tight end in that spot in the draft. So, like, my number five is Darren Waller. I feel a lot more comfortable that Darren Waller is going to return that value than I do in Evan Ingram. Not because I think Waller is that much better. I think they're probably pretty comparable. But just the injuries, and I don't want to sound like a broken record with the injuries, but the injuries have been an issue for him. I mean, you mentioned he played, what, 10 games last year? I think it may have been like 11 the year before he did play, maybe like 15 his rookie year. So it's not like he's never played a full season, but it's like he's one of those guys that even when he plays, you have to sweat out the lineup decision often. Um, he'll start off strong. Injuries kind of take over. So this is probably less about me thinking he's actually the 11th best tight end in fantasy. It's probably more just me like, I don't want this guy. I'm just going to rank him where I know I'm not going to be tempted to take him. And I mean, just looking at my rankings, like I would rather take a chance on guys who I can get later in the draft. Like, you know, the two, the two Iowa guys, Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, who both, obviously we all know about rookie tight ends. They say it's the biggest adjustment position in the NFL, 
coming from college to pros. They both showed flashes. We're both up and down. Um, so I'd rather take chances on guys like that. Um, also, a, another another guy we probably need to discuss because we are very different on him um, is Tyler Higby. I have him seventh. You have him fifteen. Just to lay out the positive case for Higby, um, he was basically a fantasy god for the last month of the season last year. Um, here were his last five games. I, I will give you two of those were against the Cardinals. So he played, had a great matchup twice, but he went seven for 107 in a touchdown, seven for 116, 12 for, oh, that's a typo. It was not 12 receptions for 11 yards. I'm going to guess it was over 110 yards. I'm going to guess 111 yards, somewhere in there. 12 for more than 100 yards. Nine receptions for 105 yards, and then eight for 84 and a touchdown. And if you watched the Rams play late in the season, which I did frequently as a Todd Gurley owner who needed those touchdowns to save me every week, he was used downfield. He was used you know, in goal line situations. He was used in the screen game. He basically, he's not Travis Kelsey. He's not Travis Kelsey. But the way that they used him, just all over the field, they line him up out wide. I mean, it was a lot like how the Chiefs used Kelsey at times. And just to kind of put it in the perspective, um, only three players have four 100-yard games in a row last year. Michael Thomas, Cooper Cup, and Tyler Higby. So, I mean, he... Down the stretch, I'm not saying that's the guy that we're getting this year. Otherwise, he would not be tight end seven. But I think he showed out strong enough to give us something to believe in this year. Obviously, we know we know about the Rams. They're going to run 12 personnel. He's going to be on the field, him and Gerald Everett both. I'm not worried about one of those guys taking the other off the field. I think he, I mean, he's kind of a lottery ticket. He's not all the way a proven commodity, but I think he proved enough that I'm willing to take a chance on him um, for the upside. I agree with everything you said that. So what's the issue? Tyler Higby really turned it on in the last four or five games of the season. Weeks 11 to 16 was really where he made any of his worth. Um, he had 56 targets in those weeks, which really comes out to almost 10 targets a week the Rams completely remastered their offense for those last five games. Yeah, I mean, Cup and Cooks were like, both of them were like around 50% snap share because it, only one of them was on the field at a time for a lot of that. You're right. And one thing that I think is missing from what you said is Gerald Everett was gone. He was out of the game. He was injured. When Gerald Everett left, you had Tyler Higby's snap share, his snap percentage go from about 50% a game to 90%. The entire offense was funneled through him. Um, and like you said, they played the Cardinals in two of those games who were so good that I traded for TJ Hawkinson after week one. Um, <laughs> and that really burned me. More importantly, I really think he's the fourth option going into that offense. I think that Josh Reynolds is a better third wide receiver option. And I don't really see Sean McVay going into 12 personnel um, and changing from his original schemes, the way he's run his team for the last couple of years. I think there's a lot of big ifs on that team. When you get a healthy Cooper Cup, you're, you're really changing the way you play the game. You're going to want to see both those receivers on the field. And then lastly, they had the 31st best 
offensive line in the NFL last year. Their run blocking and their pass blocking is bad. I think the more you see a tight end on the field, the more likely you're going to see them in a blocking formation just to make up for what they're going to deal with uh, and the pressure they're going to face. So valid points. And what I will add is that obviously he had produced very little for his first three and three quarters years in the NFL until then. But I kind of think this is a situation where you you can't quite put the toothpaste back in the back in the bottle. I mean, once this happened, I I think they're to the point now where what we thought about him before those last five games, I don't think that's true anymore. I I think that he is probably pretty clearly going to be the the favorite tight end over Everett. I see him pretty easily as the favorite target over Reynolds as well. And again, it's not like I'm ranking him as if he's going to do anything close to that, his, what he did those last five games all year. But, you know, to me, that upside, I mean, that's upside that not a lot of guys, period, especially tight ends, have ever shown. So, you know, hey, I'm just taking a shot. If, uh, if you want to put your money where your mouth is here, we could do an Evan Ingram versus Tyler Higby bet. Who finishes higher? Yeah. I mean, I'll take that money any day. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm betting that Tyler Higby finishes higher. Dalton is betting on Evan Ingram, who will play five games this year. And still outscore Tyler Higby when he doesn't <laughs> get 10 targets. Okay. We should probably start wrapping up pretty quick. We do have a couple more tight ends just to, to maybe get to. We probably only have time for like one or two more real discussions i know you mentioned hayden hurst is a guy that we had differences on you have him 11 i think i have him 17 i kind of see him slotting in as more of the austin hooper before last year type of role where it's like yeah you can stream him you can start him some weeks but uh, he's not a guy i'm gonna draft i don't think um and i know what you probably see is a guy that can get a lot of targets in that offense which he very well could so i think the guy that we should probably talk about we can save some of the more sleeper tight ends for another time. Um, Rob Gronkowski. Thank you. So I've wanted this conversation. <laughs> I have Gronk 10th in my rankings. So ahead of Evan Ingram. Um, Dalton has him 20th. And not only does Dalton have him 20th, he has him as the second ranked tight end on his own team in OJ Howard being one spot ahead at 19 Dalton. I think you feel stronger about your 20th ranking than I do my 10th ranking. So why don't you give me your case and I'll tell you why you're wrong. Well, let me just tell you when I saw your rankings, this was the most egregious of them. Uh, I spent last year ringing the bell that Bruce Arians is not going to involve any tight end, no matter who they are. Uh, I didn't want him in the fifth round ADP he had last year. I don't want to tight end on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year. Bruce Arians' offense never has ran the tight end as somebody who's important. Uh, O.J. Howard was on the field for 69% of the snaps last season. I just and want he, to say that he's never had the best tight end and best quarterback in NFL history on his team. Okay, go on. Well, I do think O.J. Howard is very athletically gifted. Uh, on the field for 69% nice of the snaps last season, and he was – 32nd in the NFL in target share. Then we can jump into who Gronk is as a player. Gronk manhandled 
DBs his entire career. Rob Gronkowski does not weigh 225 pounds. Oh, so you're saying you don't like skinny Gronk. I do not think skinny Gronk has the skill set to succeed in the NFL. So you're like all these quicker. guys. You're you're like all these guys that don't like uh, like skinny Jokic or skinny Harden ahead of the hopeful NBA startup here. Then, well, I, I just don't believe that his size is going to fit. I don't believe that the 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 offense ran is going to fit him. And more importantly, I don't think he's ahead of OJ Howard on the depth chart. I know him and Tom have a buddy buddy relationship, but OJ Howard is an athletic freak. You know, he could take the ball 75 yards for a touchdown. Um, and then last but not least, you're going to see a volume decline in this offense from last year. Uh, and I think the two biggest mouth defeats in Godwin and Evans are going to take it up because they are the two best players on the field. I would be surprised if Gronk passed 50 yards more than a couple times in the year. I don't see Gronk getting major field time, and I don't see Gronk being a major contributor to a fantasy lineup. Okay, so I don't have a too terribly much to say about Gronk. What I will say, and it, it's very clear, very, very clear to anybody who follows the NFL, the upside is he's Gronk. I mean, the upside is he's Gronk. Probably not like prime Gronk. Obviously, that guy hasn't been around for a while, but top five tight end. We'll say top five, top four tight end is the upside. Downside is he's out of the league in four weeks. I mean, that that's not impossible. I'll be the first to admit that. Obviously, he's the only guy there with any kind of connection with Tom Brady. Um, you mentioned a lot about how Arian's offense is going to run. I th- I don't know how much stock we can put into that. I mean, you could well be right. We just don't know. Tom Brady, it might turn out that Tom Brady is the system there now. We don't know. And I mean, if that's the case, we know Brady likes hitting his tight ends. We know he doesn't love, you know, throwing the ball downfield. A ton, although maybe he will a little bit more with Mike Evans in the fold now as opposed to some of the guys he's had in New England. But I think for me, it's just an upside play. And at tight end, it's like if I miss on the tight end 10, I'll just find a streamer. And not to say that I'm going to find someone who's going to be the next Austin Hooper, but I've, you know, Austin Hooper was off the scrap heap last year. And there's guys like that every year. So, I mean, Tight end, it's a spot where I'm not too concerned about the downside for Gronk because you can cut bait pretty quickly and not not be too affected by that. And again, the upside to me I still think is pretty high. It's a complete unknown, but it's a chance I don't mind taking late in drafts. Yeah, where 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 I see you taking him, I'd rather just have a younger the Gesecki, a Jonu Smith, even a Jay Sternberger. Um <laughs> I in all honesty, um, I don't well, you didn't mention Ian Thomas, who we'll talk about some other time, but yeah, the spark freak. Um, but at the end of the day, Rob Gronkowski is a guy that I, I think will just I, I would put money that he doesn't surpass a 400 yard season. I just don't believe that Gronk has it in him. I think it's a good, you know, two old timers going to hit the golf courses in Florida and, you know, reminisce on their career, but Gronk's going to be a locker room guy. I don't know if he's going to be a guy that makes a significant contribution to that offense. Yeah, and just to address the O.J. Howard point, I mean, talk about taking a real Obviously, O.J. Howard at 19, that's no risk, but just talking about O.J. Howard, he, I'm not going to put any stock of him being ahead of anybody until he proves it on the field. I mean, Cameron Bray was the guy you would have rather owned a lot of weeks last year, and I don't care what you say about Gronk, skinny Gronk, 
goofy Gronk, locker room Gronk, whatever. I'd still take him over Cameron Bray any day of the week. And as soon as Gronk went there, or even as soon as Brady went there and the rumblings of Gronk, you know, it, the rumors of OJ Howard being out of town were almost immediate. So it's really hard to say what's going to happen there. But anything else on the subject or anything else? Oh, I guess we do have the guy that we're worried that we're most wrong about at tight end. And I think for me, I think that's pretty easily um, got to be Evan Ingram. J- just because we, we, you know, with you ranking him fifth, the upside is clearly there. Um, like I said, it's really more just about, I want to make sure he's not on my team. I'm okay with missing the first healthy Evan Ingram season in a couple of years. I'll just put it that way. Honestly, um, and this might be a little bit of a spicy take, but I am very worried about Zach Ertz where I have him. Um, I know I don't have him ranked and you do, uh, but Dallas Goddard is incredibly talented. And if Zach well, Ertz, if he was playing on about any other team, I think he'd be a top six tight end. I think he's a superstar. Absolutely. And I, I mean, Zach Ertz has put together really good seasons. It's really reliable, but it, it, he goes down. I really think Dallas Goddard is one step away from taking that starting spot in an offense that needs a explosive weapon. I don't think Ertz is explosive anymore. I think he's a really good catch the ball where you throw it possession receiver. Um, but I think Dallas Goddard could be a guy who could sneak up on him in the season and surpass him. And if there's any injury, um, I don't I don't see Zach Ertz coming back and getting the full reps he needs as a tight end. Yeah, I mean, I think Ertz did have the injury last year and did make his way back in the lineup. But also to your point, I th- I'm i pretty positive he's got to be easily the lowest yards per catch guy of any of those like top five, six tight ends. So yeah, I mean, the downside's definitely there. May- maybe the touchdowns go away. Um, maybe the volume goes away. And if the volume goes away and you're averaging, it's I think it's like six yards a catch. You're like, it- it's not very high. Um, so if he's averaging low low yards per catch like that, I mean he's not a yards after the catch guy, then the the downside sure is absolutely there. He's looking more and more like Twilight Jason Witten. Catch the ball and fall. <laughs> I don't know about that. Jason Witten was uh was ice skating on the football field for his last couple <laughs> of years. <laughs> and then even worse than that when he came out of um retirement um and mercifully get went out of the Monday night football booth. All right, well, I think that is going to do it for us today on our first ever episode of the Half Point Per Podcast. Again, we do have a Twitter account. You can follow us over there at Half Point Per Pod. We will eventually get stuff going over there, tweeting out podcast links, um, other fantasy football takes, retweeting news, whatever. Um, We'll have another show next week um, diving into our wide receiver and quarterback rankings. And I can already tell you that... um, Kansas City is going to love me even more than Dalton again because I have Tyreek Hill ranked higher. Peace. <laughs>